Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Who am I? What am I doing here? Don't worry. I, <laughs> I know who I am. I, I'm Pastor Tim, and I'm here to preach a sermon, so, you know, don't get too concerned about me. Uh, but these questions, right, these questions, who am I and what am I doing here, are like the questions that every single human being asks and seeks to answer over the course of their lives, Right? I, mean, I can remember uh, being a, a high schooler, and, and maybe you can remember this, this kind of awkward internal conflict that you deal with at that age. Like, I just wanted to understand who, who I was and who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do with my life, right? People were constantly asking me, like, what are you going to do after high school? What, what do you want to do after college? And to be honest with you, I had no clue, right? I mean, I had some ideas, but I had no concrete plan of what I wanted to do with my life, with who I wanted to be. I mean, at that point in time, all I wanted to do was drive around in my car, go to concerts, hang out with my friends, and meet girls. That's it. That's like, that was the, the, all I had going on as far as uh, vocational aspirations, right? And so when it came to college, uh, which I went to, I, I made the only reasonable decision that I could make when I had to fill out, you know, what's your major? I majored in sociology, because like, what even is that, right? <laughs> At least that's what I thought. I was like, I don't even know what this is. Sounds good. But, but that was actually a, a really good move, because in taking a sociology major, they understood that we were all just trying to figure it out. So we had to take a, a, just a wide variety of courses from the catalog. So I, had to, I was exposed to all kinds of, of different worldviews and disciplines like biology, cultural anthropology, psychology, and, and others that, that sought to answer these questions. Who are we? And what are we doing here? And I got a lot of answers. And you probably grappled with these answers as well, either in your own life or in the lives of your children. You know, I learned that maybe this was all just random, that, that we were a random coincidence and that our job here on this earth was pretty simply to survive. That's certainly a very popular understanding of humanity, and it, it definitely is like the foundation that holds up a lot of the modern ways of understanding and seeing ourselves and our world. But I think that that idea really falls short. You know, I certainly did not find any real hope in seeing myself as just a random occurrence with the only vocation being to really 
survive. That, something about that it just didn't motivate me at all to rise above myself or, or to seize any real opportunity to make the world a better place. You know, and it's not like these ideas weren't floating around in my head. It's not like, you know, I didn't have hopes for myself and for our world. I just could not figure out why I should go about it. I had no foundational driving force to motivate me towards any hopes that I had of being better than I already was or changing the world around me for good. Now, of course, you know, this was at a time in my life when I, I was not following Jesus in any real sense, you know. There was a whole lot more mess going on in my life than just trying to pass college classes that I didn't want to be taking in the first place. But the point is this, like, I was stuck for a lot of years of my life because I had no real understanding of who I was or what I was doing here. And so uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the answers to these questions. Who am I and what am I doing here? And what we will discover is that who God says that we are is the driving force behind who we actually are and what we are doing here. The reason for seeking to answer these questions is actually twofold. First, just to simply understand the theology of humanity and the human vocation. And second, to reflect on how God is calling us to exist in our world, in our community of love that we have here at First Church Fort Pierce. So this sermon series is, uh, it's our stewardship sermon series for the year, and, and this is really just going to be a, a time for us to discover what God is calling us to do, specifically how God is calling us to give of ourselves. And so I want to invite you to join me at the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. You see, after God created everything, after God created the sky and the sea and the land and everything in them and on them, God creates humans in this way. This is Genesis 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every other creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over everything that moves upon the earth. And so, this is God's crowning achievement, right? The, the pinnacle accomplishment of creation, creating humans. And God could very well have cre completed creation without creating humans at all. Or God could have made humans with the same intention with which he made every other creature. But it seems that God had a different plan, different intentions for human beings. So God made humans in his image, which is not saying like, hey, God made us to look like him. 
What being made in the image of God means is that we, human beings, are created to represent God in a real and tangible way. And this is super important because it begins to answer the question, who are we? Who are humans? Well, humans are who God has created and called to represent himself in the world. And if that's who humans are, then why are we here? I think that this question is also beginning to be answered here in Genesis 1, right? God commands the humans to do something. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all of the other created beings. Essentially, God here is outlining the, the broad goal of humanity, right? Have babies and exert your rational and logical mind in doing what humans have proven ourselves to be pretty darn good at doing. Filling the face of the earth. I'd say that humans have pretty well exerted our dominion over this world. We have subdued it, right? So much so now that we're looking for other places to go and do the same thing. But I think that we can agree that just having as many babies as possible and developing cities and nations and empires that sprawl across every single inhabitable inch of the earth has not on its own naturally made this earth a place that reflects the good creation that God intended it to be. We have accomplished the goal. We've, we've subdued the earth. We've multiplied. We've spread all the way across this thing. But it seems like we kind of missed out on some of the details on what that was supposed to look like. You know, it's kind of like when you tell your kid to clean their room, Right? And all I do is just like pick everything up and shove it in a closet and under the bed and in drawers. And when you walk in, you're like, well, I mean, it looks good. You, you accomplished the task. The, the floor is not filled with Legos anymore. But when you look a little bit closer, you realize that they didn't actually complete the task. They didn't do it the way that you intended for them to do it. And so, yeah, it's done, but it's, it's not good. It just looks good until you look closely. And that, that's kind of where we are at as human beings. And it's because I think that for a long time, humanity looked at Genesis 1, but we forgot to keep reading and get more of the details. We forgot to get the guiding principles behind how God has called us to accomplish this task of having dominion over the earth. And so we we have to keep reading. And so this is going to be Genesis 2's version of pretty much the same events. And so it's important to understand how Genesis 1 and 2 function. Basically, Genesis 1 tells us the, the broad emphasis of events, while, while Genesis 2 focuses in on the details, details that are critically important for us to understand God's purposes. And so this is Genesis 2, starting in verse 4. It says, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise up from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. 
So we kind of have this, this setup, right? God created the earth, but the earth isn't living up to its potential yet. It's, it's not complete. There's no one to till the ground. That's the problem. And sure, we all know God can do whatever God wants to do. So God could have come down and tilled the ground if he wanted to, but it seems that God had different plans. And so he goes on. This is picking right back up in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So, ah, like, here's the solution, right? God creates a human. A human whom we already know from reading Genesis 1 that God has created in his own image. So formed using the dust from the ground, God gives this like dirt man <laughs> the breath of life, his own breath, and breathes it into him. And it's at this moment that this, that this clay guy becomes a living being. So this is just kind of like a side note, a piece of Bible trivia that you can use when you uh, hold Bible trivia at your homes. Um, the word being in Hebrew actually is soul. So the Hebrew says the man became a living soul. So just keep that in your mind. Let the implications of that stir in your heart. And then, like I said, keep that one in the memory banks for Bible trivia. And so God makes humans, body and soul, and then plants a garden, the Garden of Eden, right? And it's there that he places this person whom he has just made. And, and you're like, okay, I think I see where this is going. God needed somebody to till the ground, so he solved the problem. He, he made humans. And you're right. Here's a few verses later, and this is going to be our, our focusing verse for our entire sermon series. It says, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. That's it. That's the whole verse. We were right. There's a lot more to this verse, though, than meets the eye. It's going to unlock for us the principles behind God's command for humans to have dominion over the earth. So what we need to always remember is that the Bible is written to a specific people in a specific time. And so while it is, is timeless in the truths that it teaches, often those truths are wrapped in language that strikes at the heart of a certain people based on the way that they interact with and see their world. And so Genesis was written to Israel, a, a people who were in large part farmers by trade. So this agricultural language was the natural means of communicating a truth about how God intended for humans to interact with the world. See, God places these humans in the garden. He says, till it and keep it. These commands are pretty natural if you know anything about gardening, right? They are how you go about creating a suitable living environment for plant life. The soil has to be prepared. 
And then after the plants are planted, they need to be watered, need to be weeded, they need to be protected from pests, exposed to sunlight, etc., etc. And so the, the really interesting thing about this language is that it is not confined only to life in a garden or a life of agriculture. You know, as with many things, when, when we look a bit closer, we're going to find something really interesting, something that is going to help us to understand the question, what am I doing here? See, the word that's translated in our Bibles as to till the garden is the Hebrew word avad. And this word does not really mean to till. It means to work or to serve. And the word translated to keep is the Hebrew word shamar, which is a word that means to guard something. And so these are the basic principles that are meant to drive our understanding of, of what are we doing here on this earth. The job that God has created humans for is, is much more than gardening, yet gardening is a strangely appropriate metaphor. God has created us to serve and to guard his world. But as gardeners, humans engage in the vocation of stewardship. See, we create favorable conditions by serving, by working or tilling the ground, and by guarding or keeping our gardens. But what comes out of the ground isn't something that we've created. Have you ever thought about that? What comes out of the ground is something that didn't originate with us. It, it came from somewhere else, from someone else. They've been entrusted to us. And when we do our job right, then these little seeds that we put in the ground, they turn into something that is good and useful. The plants, from their very inception, are a gift. We could, we could till the ground all we want, but if we don't put any seeds in it, nothing will come. So the seeds are a gift to us from God that the plants are a full realization of. And so this is the mindset that God intends for humans. God said, have dominion over the earth and subdue it, but God doesn't say, do with it as you please. He says, serve it and guard it. God didn't give this world to humans and then take his hands off the wheel. He didn't stop caring. God placed humans here to care for this gift on his behalf and in his way. And this is the core of our Christian understanding of ourselves and of our place in this world. Who am I? <laughs> well, I'm a person created in the image of God. And so what am I doing here? Well, I'm here to serve this world and to guard it as a gift that God has entrusted to me. That's who all of us are, and that's what all of us are doing here. And now I think that the implications for this are many. But most importantly, it calls for us to have a radical shift in the way that we view our world and our place in it. You know, we live in a world that is driven by ideologies that teach us to, to just live for yourself. 
They tell us to look out for number one, that, that survival of the fittest should be the driving force behind everything that we do because we're just random happenstances as it is, right? But when we look at how God desires us to interact with this world, we see a vastly different vision. We see that, that God has, has called us to live for him and for our neighbors. We're called to live sacrificially, to operate under an economy of grace, to serve and guard our world on God's behalf and in God's ways. The human vocation calls us to not only be admirers of all that God has made and done, but to be doers who partner with God in fulfilling his mission in this world. You know, I know that we don't live uh, thousands of years ago, and we don't live in a garden. Well, some of you probably have gardens, but we don't actually live in a garden. We're probably not going to alter the course of human progress. We can't go back in time and caution the developers of the ancient and modern worlds against subduing the earth in a way that causes pollution and ecological disaster. But what we can do is, is practice stewardship in the little garden that God has given to us, our church and our community. You see, when Jesus came, he, he gave the same commands that God had given to the first humans about the garden. He used different language, different metaphor, but the message was the same. He invited people to love God with everything that they had and to love their neighbors as themselves. This is the same principle that was meant to drive the human vocation all the way back in the garden. Because when we love, which is an action word, love is something that we do, not something that we feel. So when we love, we create and cultivate an environment that allows God's creation to flourish. And when we love in this way, within the context of our church, we create a community that allows God's redemptive and restorative work to reach those who most desperately need it. We create a community that is all in when it comes to reaching the hearts and lives of those whom God is desperately calling home. See, when we look at the church and the call that, that God has placed on us to serve it and to guard it, I think that we have got room for improvement. You see, as Americans, we, we typically experience church as a spectator sport, right? The, the majority of folks come to experience the work that a few people have put in. We do our hour on Sunday. We tell the pastor, hey, man, good game on the way out. And we go on with our lives. I get it. And that's fine. You know, if we want to be a church, that's just fine. It's just okay. But that's not the kind of church that I want to be the pastor of. Luckily, that's not the kind of church that I've experienced here at First Church. And hopefully, it's not the kind of church that you want to be because it's not the kind of church that we should be. I'm grateful that First Church is much better at being stewards of God's gift to us, of serving and guarding our gift than most churches are. But you know, 
there's still so much more that we can do. But we can't do it with the resources that we have now. You know, I got big, crazy dreams for this place. Crazy dreams about deep discipleship, radical evangelism, passionate worship, all things that that I can't make happen on my own. But I'm going to place all of my bets on the fact that together, as a church, we can. Because that's the purpose of this entire sermon series. It's a means for us to explore the ways that God is inviting each of us individually to give our time, our talent, and our treasure to serving and guarding God's kingdom here in Fort Pierce. It's a means by which I am going to challenge you to do more, to give more. I'm going to challenge you to devote yourself to God and to your community so that the garden that God is calling you to serve and guard might blossom and bear the sweet, sweet fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, this is an opportunity for us to answer, who are we and what are we doing here? But that's only going to happen if we commit ourselves to this work, if we pledge ourselves to being stewards of God's world. And so we've created a, a pledge card that's going to come out in the next week or so that, that you'll receive, and I, I want you to just take it home. But even starting today, what I want you to do every day of, of this month is to just begin to pray as, as individuals or as a family over each area that's going to be covered on this, on this pledge card. Time, talent, and treasure. And just ask God to, to show you how you're being called to give. Maybe you're already give, and how God is asking you to give more. More of your time, more of your talent, more of your financial gifts to the church. So, so that what we are doing here doesn't just stay here with us. And at the end of this series, we'll, we'll fill those cards out and we'll hand them in and we'll pray over them and, and we'll bless them and we'll dedicate them to God and we'll celebrate that we as a church ha have devoted ourselves, all of ourselves to God, God's kingdom, and the garden here, a first church. And I'll look at them. I look at them and, and I'll see what we've got to work with as far as my big crazy dreams go. We'll see how much time people are willing to give, how much talent people are willing to give, and, and we'll build a budget based around how much treasure folks have committed to giving. And what we'll do is we'll see the ways that we can create a future a future that echoes the words of Jesus in Fort Pierce as it is in heaven. Amen.